This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. Thanks for checking in. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Be sure and check us out on the video and graphics version of our shows on the Police One YouTube channel. Are we doing enough to prepare for and prevent a cyber attack on our systems? In the first eight months of this year, cyber attacks against public safety agencies globally already surpassed 2022 numbers by over 10%. In April 2022, Motorola Solutions established the Public Safety Threat Alliance, the PSTA, the first cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency that serves as a cyber threat intelligence hub for the global public safety community. Today, we'll talk about what we need to know about threat actors, evolving habits, and what police departments need to do to combat threats and keep their operations safe. My guests today are Jay Kane, who serves as the director of the Cyber Fusion Center at Motorola Solutions, and he is the director of the Public Safety Threat Alliance. Jay's background and experience includes over 25 years in private and public sector roles supporting the U.S. national security, including service as a U.S. Army cyber officer. And we also welcome Tony McIntosh, a former police officer and Army combat medic who is a vice president of cybersecurity sales globally for Motorola Solutions. He's led a project management, resource management, and opportunities that have given him a deep understanding of the critical communications threat landscape in law enforcement today. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley, and hopefully you're watching us on the YouTube channel as well, so you can take a look at me and my guests. Well, in the first eight months of this year, cyber attacks on our systems have increased uh, in the first eight months of the year. Agencies have globally already surpassed 2022 numbers by over 10%. Police departments and municipalities can be an ideal target for cyber extortionists, given the mission, critical nature of their work, which cannot afford disruptions along with their access to municipal budgets. The growing frequency and sophistication of attacks such as ransomware and activism that are targeting public safety agencies highlights the need for agencies to come together on cyber threat intelligence, sharing now more than ever. In April 22, Motorola Solutions established the Public Safety Threat Alliance, the PSTA, the first cybersecurity and infrastructure security or CISA recognized information starting and analysis operations that serves as a cyber threat intelligence hub for the global public safety community. Well, that's a mouthful. Well, today we will talk about what we need to know about threat actors, evolving habits, and what police departments need to do to combat threats and keep their operations safe. My guests today are Jay Kane, who serves as Director of the Cyber Fusion Center at Motorola Solutions, and he's the Director of the Public Safety Threat Alliance. 
Jay's background and experience includes over 25 years in public and private sector roles, supporting U.S. national security, including service as a U.S. Army cyber officer. Welcome, Jay Kane. Thank you very much, Jim. It's great to be here today with you. Well, great to have you, and thank you for your service. And we also welcome Tony McIntosh, a former police officer and Army combat medic, who is Vice President of Cybersecurity Sales globally for Motorola Solutions. He's led project management, resource management, and opportunities that have given him deep understanding of the critical communication threat landscape in law enforcement today. Well, welcome, Tony McIntosh. Hey, Jim and Jay. Well, happy to be here. Look forward to uh, getting into this conversation. Yeah, well, thanks uh, for your service as well. And well, you just heard in the first eight months of 2023, the PTSA saw a 10% increase in cyber attacks against public safety agencies compared to all of 2022. What's that in numbers? Are we talking dozens or hundreds of attacks? Yeah, Jim. Uh, so that's hundreds of attacks. And, uh, and those are global attacks against public safety organizations. And I'll go a step further and say that those are also successful attacks. You certainly have a lot of attempts that are out there uh, day in and day out. Pretty much every second of every day, these adversaries are trying to get into public safety networks. Uh, when it comes to our numbers, what we saw last year was 224 confirmed attacks against public safety organizations worldwide. And this year, uh, even since those numbers uh, that you quoted were released, just recently we surpassed uh, 300 attacks for this year alone. And so it, it continues to build as a threat, both in the numbers and quite frankly, the sophistication as well. And, and just to touch and kind of go back one sec on the Public Safety Threat Alliance and the whole reason for being, we at uh, Motorola Solutions, have been collecting and doing such analysis for well over five years now, focused on the public safety space, but it had really been focused for many years on making sure our products were resilient and able to meet these threats that we find against public safety worldwide. What we did last year in 2022, really becoming operational about this time last year, fully operational, in light of the fact that every other part of critical infrastructure just about has a threat intelligence or information sharing organization that supports it, whether it's financial services, whether it's in healthcare, there was a blind spot when it came to public safety emergency communications. Land mobile radio, computer-aided dispatch, and call handling and cyber threats to the same. So Motorola Solutions established the PSTA as a no cost resource for public safety organizations to be able to get these insights and really for us to turn what had been an internal focus, external to this critical part of infrastructure working at the state, federal, provincial and local level to share this intelligence. And that uh, kind of annual number is just kind of the tip of the iceberg for what we collect in the analysis that we do. Yeah, so Jay, what you're, you're talking about are, are the 
potential to shut down our critical systems. Are there, is there one intent by these cyber attackers? Do they hope to threaten to expose officer data or tap into confidential records? Or is it just, just is it to shut down critical systems? Yeah, it, it runs the gamut, really, Jim. Um, in the hacktivist, when, when it comes to folks with an ideology that they want to you know, impart or potentially is in conflict with law enforcement, it may be website defacement, it may be a d- distributed denial of service attack so that you can't get to a, a certain public safety website but then you certainly get into the extortion actors, which is a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar business worldwide with these very complex, often multinational, they almost resemble Fortune 500 companies, some of these threat actors. Uh, they are very opportunist in attacking public safety or healthcare or other parts of an economy that they believe are going to uh, be financial windfalls for them as they continue to grow as an illicit business. Jim, yes. maybe I can, add, I can add something to that there. I think part of the exercise uh, as we think through state actors versus what we would call script kiddies back in the day, someone in their basement that had too many uh, Red Bulls and a PS5 and thought they can write some code and, and, and distribute that. And we still see those in some measure. I think it's important to understand that there's a there's there's an attack and there's an intent. Sometimes the attack intent is to ransom. Sometimes the attack intent is to just dwell. I want to be inside of your system for a very long time. We see some of the larger hacks. If you think solar winds or something like that, uh, 18 months, uh, the threat actor was inside of our systems collecting our data, collecting Americans' data that then gets exfilled outside of the U.S. for many, many reasons. So I think part of, part of the conversation always has to be, well, it's a public safety agency. Well, that doesn't affect me, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, mainstream America. Well, technically, it still does. What we're finding is this convergence, really, Jim, around I go to work, I take my personal self to a professional job, to a profession. Then that convergence occurs, whether I have two cell phones, I have two laptops, or my name, which is associated with my personal social security number. I am breached on the job. Now I'm breached in my personal life. I That impact can trans, that can transcode itself from being just professional to on my personal. Now I can't get a loan. I can't pay for my kid's school. There's a deep impact that kind of transcends just the fact that you're a uniform, if you are, or you are working in the public se- pub, uh, public service sector, a school teacher, that your your agency, your school, your school district gets breached. So I want to just to kind of highlight that while it's nuanced, it's very, very impactful downstream past what you call the just the badge or the uniform, you see. Yeah, absolutely. And and both can be devastating professionally and, and personally. So what can we do? What can an agency do as a preventative measure? Do they just go to silos, standalone databases so that uh, each individual database has to be cracked? Uh, or do they stay away from the cloud? What should be done? 
Yeah, Jim. So certainly, um, you know, lots of steps out there for an organization to take. I'll step back a bit strategically and, and look at this as kind of see yourself, see the threat, uh, and then see your networks as well. And, and when it comes to, to seeing yourself, I think one is understanding uh, and, and doing a risk assessment. You know, what do your systems look like? What does your training look like? Where are your gaps? Uh, and, and looking to resources that are out there, um, you know, to include on the private sector front to be able to help with that journey. Because one of the things that we find with our organization is we're supporting small to mid-sized municipalities as well as some large ones. And those small to mid-sized municipalities, typically, if they've got someone doing IT, it maybe is an additional duty much less somebody in the cybersecurity space. So there is help out there for that. Um, and I think also it's understanding that, uh, you know, the risks and the threat that is out there as well. And, and that's one of those um, services and enablers that we work to provide uh, to include tying in with other organizations to be able to get best practices amongst this community of interest as well. Uh, Jim, I'll tell you this, I, you know, I, I have a global remit, so I'm usually in uh, some different country uh, every month uh, taking the cyber champion forward. And in some countries, if I'm in the kingdom or I'm in the Middle East, they graduate about 2000 cyber warriors. That's what they call them uh, every six months. Uh, I, was, I was recently in the kingdom giving a, a, a speech about some of the things that we do here. Fortunately for us, if we crowdsource a better understanding of what we're fighting, we can be a whole lot better and not necessarily wait for administration to push down uh, standard compliances. Uh, whether it's NIST 853 or 171, or whether we have CUI, and I'm gonna use some acronyms that maybe some of your listeners really, really understand and they go, I see where he's going. I guess what I'm saying is that we should find commonality across agencies in understanding the basic tenets, know your network. If we start there, but we also need to understand, back to my analogy of the 2000 warriors, we're all individually responsible, Jim, and we should all be get a better understanding of what it is we're fighting. And oftentimes I see, as I deal with breaches every week, this cliched version of the weakest link the weakest link doesn't necessarily mean the smallest municipality or the smallest city. The weakest link can be the largest agency or the largest school district. Why? Because there are so many moving parts. They'll never find me. And if I can get in, if I can do a business email compromise, we call it BEC, if I can get into the system, I won't make a lot of noise. They won't know I'm there. And I'm such, such a big agency, they'll never find me for a long time. I can do a lot more damage. So while we should go, I'm not saying we should be wrapped in bubble wrap and we can't leave the house. We need to do our jobs, but we all need to be aware. I'm a former police officer and we talk about if you see something, say something. We all need to be aware. And as we are more aware, we can don't click the link as many times as we often do, Jim. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the answer. And that's kind of human nature, right? We do everything from our phones and... Uh, you know, we, we, we try to be really vigilant at work. We get, you know, we have firewalls and everything else, but 
truth be told, uh, human nature just says it's hard to resist to, to click. And so once the cyber attack does happen, then what? I, I mean, I've read that some municipalities early on, like like a couple of years ago, it seemed like a lot of them were paying out the ransoms. I mean, to me, that was like unfathomable. Does it have to come to that today? I feel you end up making a, a choice, Jim. Uh, often it's, do I want to be up and working quickly? A very large uh, city uh, out in the West I had a breach earlier this year and they wanted to get back quickly because some of the services they provided were critical. Uh, bus transportation back and forth from uh, some of the more depressed neighborhoods, uh, access to information that needed to transverse both HIPAA back into the hospitals that they collected. So we wanted to get up and running. Well, what we found was we know the threat actors and the, the ones who are actually really successful and really good at it, they're going to be back in four to five months. So you pay that initial ransom, and we call initial because that access broker is coming back for a second bite of that Christmas cake, right? Your birthday cake isn't finished yet. We're coming back for more. And we see time and time and time again, it's a repeated program. So now we're seeing the administration saying, hey, 48 countries just last two weeks ago signed a, you know, a memorandum, an MOU to say, hey, we are no longer going to pay. Well, that's easier said than done, Jim. And I can tell you, again, because I've been in security for a while and I see what that physical impact is. That impact is a fireman who gets a call for service cannot come to your house without making sure first someone needs to be able to track him using a CAD, computer-aided dispatch, in case something happens to that officer. Well, guess what? Now they have to revert to paper. So the impact is not just monetary. It's impact to our service members. It's impact to the community. Well, I may take an extra minute before I can get there. Meanwhile, the ambulance service depends on seconds and being able to route directly to your house, 1204 Local Street. And we can't get there because the system is down or worse. We can't trust the data in the system, the integrity. And, you know, in cybersecurity, we talk about CIA, not the CIA you would normally think of, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And those things matter to us, whether you're closing a case later on or you're getting that initial call in and you're worried about all of that AI that's proliferating today. Well, is it a spoof call? Because you may get through and I'm going, suddenly I'm swatting or I'm doxing or I'm doing something that probably shouldn't happen. So Jim, it's complex. It's very complex. The impact isn't necessarily to a small agency anymore. It could be a very large agency and we really have to crowdsource, which is what the PSDA is all about crowdsource our security in the best way we can and then let some of the experts help us as well as it's always going to come down to funding 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 and we know that's that's a fact and of what we need to do today and jim i just uh, highlighting uh, what everything that tony said you know it's it's the nature of the public safety mission as well it's no fail and these threat actors know that and and quite honestly as we look at it and look at other threats you know, we see public safety and public safety emergency communications in a bit of a Goldilocks zone, particularly for extortion actors, because they're defined budgets. There's zero downtime that, that really can be allowed for for all those reasons when it comes to the 911 system. And uh, and it's not necessarily because these happen 
you know, we're seeing an attack against public safety about every day right now, a successful attack. And because of that, they stay under the radar compared to, say, a pipeline that shuts down fuel for part of the U.S., where you start to get the uh, suspicions and the, the focus from the security and the intelligence services. So, uh, and one of the things that we've seen change between last year and this year as well is impacts to the computer-aided dispatch to the 911 centers, not necessarily because we still see it as opportunistic, but you know these, uh, these enclaves are still connected to enterprise networks within a municipality, and these threat actors are patient. They've got dwell time that they'll spend, you know, even months at a time. They'll laterally move and they'll find areas that they can have the most impact. And so, uh, again, just uh, highlighting exactly what uh, Tony was saying and what we're seeing in that increase in threat, particularly in the uh, the nine one one centers. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it, devastating uh, in some cases, uh, complete shutdowns of operations is the biggest threat. And Tony, you mentioned both small and large, it doesn't really matter, both are, are e extremely vulnerable. I want to ask you about your solutions, what you're doing there at Motorola Solutions. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Tony McIntosh and Jay Kane from Motorola Solutions, and we are discussing cyber threats to public safety agencies. So I want to ask you both, why is cyber threat intelligence sharing among public agencies so critical to reducing attacks? Yeah, I, I think starting out, uh, one is nobody has the perfect threat picture. And, and, and what uh, I'm informed by my background, the national security and the military space, and then even uh, hearkening to the solar winds attack that Tony referenced earlier, you know, that, that was a far reaching attributed to a nation state, significant economic national security impacts, but it wasn't an intelligence service that identified it, released the information. It was actually a private security vendor. And at the end of the day, you know, just as I mentioned, all of these threat actors, particularly the most capable ones, act as Fortune 500 companies. They've got their own ecosystem, trust amongst thieves anyway, when it comes to them. And given the fact that, uh, you know, we've got to come together as a community to establish, in our case, a neighborhood watch for public safety, cybersecurity, so that collectively we can, if you see something, say something. If you've got an issue, come to the community, come to our analysts that are focused on this problem. 
so that we can all work together. Because again, nobody's got the perfect intelligence. We've got to share until it hurts and, uh, and kind of build this network to be able to defend public safety networks. Jay, I'll, I'll say that, I'll say absolutely, that's, that's spot on. You know, uh, Jim, one of the things that we think about when we think of a, an attack, we do an anatomy of the attack, uh, agencies will call it attribution. We don't do attribution, we wanna understand. So we think of what's called IOCs, indicate, indicators of compromise. So we'll go back and we'll look at the attacks that are reported. And by the way, everything we're talking about is what's been reported. There may be more. Wink, wink. We know there are substantially more that aren't reported because you report, you may end up getting attacked by multiple parties again, just the way piling on works. So we look at the indicators of compromise and then we develop our own rules around our tool sets and our AI that we have that says, huh, for CAD, we see there are four general attackers, uh, usually those, and we know how to protect against them. For, and I'm making up the number, not being super specific. For, for uh, dispatch centers, whether it's here in the US, 911, or 000 outside the US, or whether it's in Canada, because we work with our agencies extraneous to OCONUS, extraneous to just the US only. We want to make sure that we understand what the threat is. We're not dependent just on an agency to tell us. We have many, many more analysts, I shouldn't say it that way, I should say that we have maybe analysts who are very focused on what we do in critical infrastructure. And because of that, we've seen repeated things that we know enough to build into our system. We don't have to be broad strokes. We wanna be very, very uh, 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 sniper version, paying attention, small scope on just public safety and what we can do there. And we feel we've keyed in on that. So. Part of the exercise is us taking everything we see within the public safety arena, as well as the private side, because we still do that business. But we want to make sure that when we see it and we understand what that threat is, we want to get that out there within minutes, not within weeks. We want to be able to analyze and say, hey, Jim, we need you to go scan your system because we think based on what we know about public safety systems, your particular system and the way it's configured may have a critical vulnerability issue that you might want to go look at. And that's what crowdsourcing security looks like. That's what banding together really looks like at its at its best. Yeah, and so for our own personal computers, we've seen viruses that have been identified as repeated. And so those are easy to be seen. But are we seeing uh, the same actors coming out with different programs, different attacks, or are they just, I mean, you're talking about thousands of, you know, these cyber warriors, are they just coming from all angles or are they just being concentrated from a couple of different sources? Yeah, so I think Jim, what we're seeing, we do certainly track threat actors and uh, that, are, that are commonly attacking public safety, but it definitely changes. These organizations will change names, they'll rebrand, or they'll get shut down by a federal law enforcement organization, and then something else pops up in their place. I, I think one of the areas that we focus on for our members, um, even though it feels like you've got thousands and thousands, almost infinite numbers of these threat actors, it's not. It's, it's a discrete number. There are discrete numbers of active campaigns that are maybe in the hundreds going on at any given time. 
And so we narrowly focus on those most likely most dangerous threats to public safety to allow defenders to be able to focus their defensive efforts. You know, and in the case of what we've seen over the last year, it's very focused on known credentials. So valid credentials, like a good username, password, whether it's stolen via a phishing attack or whether it's stolen by poor password practices. Uh, that is what a lot of the threat actors are using. And then known vulnerabilities as well. Uh, I will say, you know, as soon as there are reports amongst the cybersecurity defender community of vulnerabilities in all these different systems, firewalls, networks, et cetera, these threat actors are uh, uh, developing exploits to be able to target those vulnerabilities and take advantage of them. Um, and they do it in a very rapid manner. And we see that in scanning of public safety networks, what they're scanning for within, uh, when it comes to known vulnerabilities. But we do update kind of those most likely, most dangerous threats, tactics, techniques, and procedures and get that out to the community so that they can better protect themselves. Tony, I was waiting for you, Tony, to jump in. I, I didn't. I didn't. Want, I don't know how I can go after that, other than to say, <laughs> I tell you what. Uh, at the at the the peak at the summit, it's always people. I think Jim, you mentioned early on that you know there's there's the exploit log4j move it. Uh, you know, solar winds. We can we can speak to that. But there's the entrance, and we often see, really, in my view, as I speak to customers and I speak to agencies across the globe, it has to come in somehow, somewhere. And you mentioned links. We, we find that, listen, you've got to do your job. Uh, a police officer has to get onto Periscope or has to get on Instagram to see what, what the kids are doing and pay attention to a, a mass protest that wasn't supposed to happen. We've got to do all of these things. Information is coming into our dispatch centers based on the I3 standards, the new 911 standards that are coming out that says, I can send a picture. I can send a link. I can send you a real-time uh, a cut from my video system at home of a real incident taking place in real time back to the dispatch center. We have to help our first responders and our citizens protect themselves while doing their jobs. So we're going to do this, that part of it. It's incumbent on us, which is different than a local agency, right, Jim? Because we can go out and we can really spend more money uh, as a research company, we can put a lot more effort into it than a small agency with two staff members. So we often say, hey, if you join the PSDA, boy, you're getting the richness of what we do, right? Uh, and generally, we're talking about free, but we're getting the richness of that from us. Let us take on that heavy lifting so you can go protect your communities. You can go to school. You can go to work at the hospital. And you can take care of the community in a way that's beneficial for all of us. So... I tell folks, really, if I had to give any advice, it's just as going to a doctor. I say, when you go to the doctor, you got to fill out that form and tell them, how do you feel? Well, that's your risk assessment. That's what we should start with. Let's take assessment of your system. Then you might get all, you know, the doc says, well, we need you to go do something special because we think your that shoulder joint or your elbow is really hurting badly. I can't assess it from here. So now I want to go do a scan. And we call that a vulnerability scan, something like that. You want to go have someone really check 
make sure that's not what we think or it is what we think. And when we figure that out, they're going to give you some medication. And that medication is really what we call um, uh, managed detection and response in many different forms from many different companies. But you want someone to look at the house while you go to work. And we do it in our personal lives. We do it on our laptops. We let we take patching. You're, if you've got an iPhone, and I'm just going to pick an iPhone, you get 17.1.1. That's the latest patch release. We accept it on our phones, and we need to do the same thing in a public safe uh, public safety uh, arena. We need to patch. We need to train, and then we need to get experts to do some of those things. Augment your experts with additional ones. That's that's kind of my kind of holistic. Naive view at times, but a holistic view of how we should look at things, I think. No, that's great. So I want to be respectful of your time. I want to thank you both for, for being here. In summary, what do you recommend for police departments to do to safeguard their systems from these growing cyber threats? Uh, join the PTSA? PSTA, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. Yeah, definitely uh, from my end. Uh, I encourage uh, you know anybody watching this to uh, to join the Public Safety Threat Alliance at uh, MotorolaSolutions.com/psta at no cost. Uh, we provide the insights that we've touched upon today. Uh, we provide a regular um, cycle of intelligence products and information, as well as just like I said, that trusted community as well. Uh, whether it's our members reporting and us being able to provide that report across the membership base. So if we have a, a large community in New York that reports a threat, well, everybody's just an IP away from getting hit by that same threat. And a small municipality in Oregon can help to inoculate their system against the same. So we look forward to, again, continuing to build this uh, network to protect public safety networks. And definitely from our end, would encourage everyone to, uh, to join today. Jim, I'll give you two points and I promise that it'll be quick. Uh, one is we should, we should train hard so we can fight easy. So agencies should make sure someone is designated, someone is a cyber champion, Someone within that group gets those bulletins. Someone within that group says, we're gonna go do a little bit of a, a training and, and, a, and a awareness training. We don't want folks to be coding. Uh, that's one, we can do that. That's an easy, low hanging fruit. Awareness, awareness, awareness. Pull something from the net, show what you just saw happen. And let's talk about what happens if that happens to us. And then uh, I, I guess the, the second part of that, I would say really is MFA. I, I feel agencies, if they look at multi-factor authentication, as a real thing, it is it is not uh, necessarily an easy thing to adopt across all agencies quite easily. But where we can, we should. And it's not as complex as it seems. We do it in our everyday life. You can't get onto Amazon without getting that that uh, you know five digit, six digit number that you've got to enter in before you know your family member buys. I have a lot of family members who buy from my Amazon apparently. So I'll say that if we apply some of those common things that we do in our private life, I feel we can apply some of those to a public safety ver a version of that uh, and have our leaders really be educated enough to take us to where we need to be. Well, maybe the cost that we expend to pay these ransoms can go down, in my view. Yeah, great advice. Hey, thank you for being on the show. Jay Kane from Motorola Solutions and the Public Safety Threat Alliance. And Tony McIntosh with the company's global cybersecurity sales division. 
Uh, and thanks for your service. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Hey, to our listeners, check out the links below on the Public Safety Threat Alliance. You'll see some information there and how to get on board and join. Thanks for listening. And uh, let me know what you think of today's program. Drop me an email at policingmatters at policeone.com. And stay safe and hope to talk to you again real soon. Take good care.